0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I am your host, Renee Craven, and today we're chatting with Antoinette Kusia. Antoinette is an ex-software developer who took a detour through academia to end up in the world of professional coaching. A veteran of agile transitions, her focus currently is on developing leaders to grow agility in themselves and in their organizations. Before the pandemic, she practically lived at 33,000 feet, but since the start of the pandemic, she has been happily home in beautiful Cape Town. Antoinette, welcome. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks, Renee.
0: It's really lovely to be here. Um, so, my first question for you: How did you find Agile? So, um,
1: it's actually a very long time ago, um, <laughs> and even before it was was called Agile, I was really fortunate. Um, I was here in Cape Town. And um, we were working on, I was uh, part of a software development team, and we were working on a small talk project. And um, small talk was, you know, really big in the OO world. um, And we therefore invited Martin Fowler to come and do some work with us because he'd written several books on small talk, et cetera. And it was it was 96, literally just after he came off um, the C3 project. So we thought we were getting him to uh, really grow our small talk um, proficiency and, you know, and give us some really cool tips about small talk. And he actually ended up um, working with us as a team to adopt XB. So um, we had the same, uh, you know, similar situation with Alistair Coburn. So this was way before the Agile Manifesto. And um, I did not know or anticipate the impact that, uh, you know, these gentlemen and the 15 others would have on the world. Mm. Uh, I just knew that what they brought us was a really revolutionary way of working. So revolutionary that I wasn't convinced at all <laughs> that it was going to work. Um, but you know, I believe in trying everything once, and I never looked back. Mm. Um, so just really, it it only afterwards that I realised that I was actually in a team where there was a lot of self-management. Um, the the project manager really trusted us, um, so some of the things that became part of the Agile Manifesto were there without us consciously realizing it. Um, at that stage, it was very much about a way of developing software that had better results and just worked better in terms of building a better product, creating greater ownership in in um, in the people that we were developing it for, so um,
0: that's how it started for me. Wow. That's impressive. It that goes a long way back before the oh, manifesto. That's very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. what have you observed about the role of women in Agile community over the year, over the years? Sorry. So I think uh
1: because it started for me in software development in the beginning, it was quite geeky and mostly male, like you know, more uh, most software development teams uh, i mean i'm i'm getting on in years uh, the lady doesn't disclose her, her age, but <laughs> getting on in years and you know in my career mostly i've worked with men and it was um i think it was only really when i became part of the of the um, international community that uh, i saw more women you know so if i look at enterprise level there's still a lot of a lot of men, um, but um, at least at the Scrum Master level, you know, kind of the entry level, there's a there's a bunch more women um, these days than there used to be. So, I mean, I think that basically, from a from a makeup point of view, women are very well suited to become agile coaches, um, and especially black women. You know, black coaches in in my in South Africa. Um, a lot of the really, really good coaches are black. Um, So I've personally taken on uh, the um, sort of to be a torchbearer for black female coaches um, in South Africa and in Africa.
0: Hmm. What else have you done community-wise? What's the community like in South Africa for agile and not specifically women, but agile in general? So there's a, it actually started quite early on um,
1: in South Africa. The community here is quite mature. Um, Peter Hundemark, who I think was one of the, I think he was the eighth um, uh, Scrum trainer in the world, CST in the world. Um, he's based in Cape Town and he's always played a big part in Scrum Alliance. And he and some other people, you know, I'm thinking uh, Karen and Sam from from Growing Agile they have really done a lot in the early days to grow the community. So I was not part of the community for quite a while. I was, you know, I was living overseas. Um, but when I came back, I became more part of the community. It was very Scrum-focused in the beginning and because I wasn't Scrum-focused at that point, it was much. I was much more XP-focused. Um, people were quite evan- evangelical about Scrum too, so it it wasn't a welcoming community in the beginning for me, but over the years, that's changed. You know, and we've got a very, very strong Scrum community, Scrum User Group, SACSA. Um Very strong user group here with loads of um, uh, good um, participation, and um, people come to the. You know, people from overseas come and attend the conference as well as speakers as participants. Um, this coming weekend, we, for instance, have a coach camp. Um, so there's a lot of uh, really good people um, that um, we've exported over the years, unfortunately, as well, so, you know, to your country, Australia, New Zealand, <laughs> um, Europe and the U.S. too. So, And my dog agrees with
0: me. That's not good. <laughs>
1: We like our (laughs) South Africans, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Karen and Sam were actually the first two coaches I ever came across. Yeah. Um, When I was, you know, learning this agile thing back in 2010. um, Yeah. I was sent to, I went to the, the office for the organization I was working for at the time to Cape Town office mm-hmm. and Sam and Karen were there as coaches. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, so I I met them a very, very, very long time ago as well. But um yeah. it was a you know, it was pretty awesome to see the two of them in action yeah. back then. Yeah,
1: I mean they did really um we did some work together. That they they um they, they always preferred working at the team level. Um so we ended up working together whenever there was more enterprise stuff going on as well. Um, so uh we we work together on a few things, and I think they did a really brilliant job of creating resources for for coaches you know um they've got a whole series of books still on lean pub um they yeah they you know shared their games um very freely, so yeah yeah it is they are they're both living. they ended up both in New Zealand, you know, so they're both <laughs> living over there. but yes, um, we've kept
0: contact yeah, small world. yeah um so your the the topic that we're going to talk about to in this a podcast is uh, on presence. Mm-hmm. Tell me what does presence mean to you? So um we Tend to think
1: about uh, our impact, what we what we want to do when we work with people, you know, in our teams, in organisations. We tend to think about it very often in quite a reductionist way, as um, what we're going to be doing with people, you know, um, what tools we're going to be using, um, what uh, what we're going to be teaching them. Sometimes. Um, How how are we going to work with them? And in my experience over the years, I've realized um, who you are has as much, if not more, impact on what you do with teams and individuals that you work with than, um, you know, has impact in terms of what you achieve with them than what you do with them. So there are, you know, there are, um, unfortunately, he has left us, but Doug Silsby in the professional coaching world um, wrote more than one book about presence-based leadership, presence-based coaching, and the impact um, that we have when we can be fully present with others. So, this doesn't only, you know, it, it absolutely has an impact as a coach, as a facilitator, okay, but it actually also extends to how we are as a team, you know, if, if team members can be really present with one another, um, the quality of what they produce, the dialogue that they have um, is really in kind of a different class. Yet, we a are not really aware of how present we are, and b tend to overfocus on what's happening in our heads rather than what's happening in our whole being. Mm.
0: Mm. That's really um, interesting. So as a you mentioned from a team perspective. As a coach, how do you coach a team in that to 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 embrace that or to be aware of that presence?
1: So um, you know, there's a there's a number of ways. Um, firstly, we become more aware of our impact, and we care more about our impact if. We truly care about who we are with. It, so, so there's work that needs to happen in teams to become human beings to one another. Mm. You know, there's work about um, getting to know one another. Um, there's work about you know that hackneyed term uh, psychological safety. Um, so that people can be present, you know? So if we think about what's, what stands in the way of our presence, it's um, being fearful, um, it's being distracted, um, it is, um, it's being, I mean, even physically not well, um, and it's, it's, um, it's having our attention on something else, that's happening rather than what is truly happening, you know? Um, so if we, if we think about how to set up teams so that they have the potential even of being completely present with one another, um, there's work that we need to do in order to get them to trust one another. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then there are skills that we that we just have to learn, you know we cannot be present with somebody else unless we listen to them mm. so i um you know many years before I did coaching, I was already introduced to the concept of a thinking environment um by the work of nancy klein um who is a she's a she's a coach she's a um, a U.S. coach, but she's been living in London for many, many years, and um, she introduced me to the concept of listening with exquisite attention.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, we if we think about how we normally listen, very often when we're listening, we're listening to respond or to reply. Yep. Okay, so. That means that I'm not really listening to you. I'm I'm picking out bits and pieces of what you're saying so that I have a comeback. Okay, that's not that's not listening at all. Um, and I mean, sometimes in some situations that's okay because that's how we build connection in a social setting. You know, if you've just told me that um, you have been on holiday to you know some exotic place my mind will go to when last I've been to an exotic place so that I can connect with you and that we can have a, a social conversation. So it's not like there's anything wrong. It's just that it's not the optimal way of listening if we truly want to be present to one another and the subject that we're talking about. So listening is a really big part of it and um, and really, um, you know, there's there's three questions that I've got in front of me on my on my laptop that I that I always tell people about that I you know they're on my laptop because I very often neglect them, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's also something that I share with uh, groups that I work with, um, and it it says before I speak, have I heard what's been said, truly heard is it my turn to speak? And the third one is, is what I'm going to say in service of the group? Mm. And when a group, this requires practice. So when a group can be present with one another um, and speak only, when the answer to all of those questions are yes, the quality of the listening improves. The quality of um, the thinking improves as well. You know, um, I mean, Nancy Klein's basic premise was um, the quality of the thinking depends on the quality of the listening. You know, if you think about when, when you were a child and your school principal. Called you into his office, you certainly did not do your best thinking standing in front of his desk with shaking knees. So, you know the, there are various things that we um, that we need to create in order for people to truly um, have, you know, the best quality of thinking, and being present to them is is one of them.
0: Hmm. Mm. It's. When you mentioned bef- just the principal <laughs> shaking knees thing brought back some memories, but also <laughs> I was thinking um, I wonder where we learned to not listen very well. Is it something that's come from, is it what everybody, I guess everybody does it if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something that you learn. It's just the norm as you grow up. I mean, that's just what you learn until you spend more time studying listening or you're coaching teams and all of mm-hmm. everything that you've just said um yeah it's just intrigued yeah where do you I, think I it's mean, come from
1: I, I think it definitely is part of our development you know if we think about um when we go through adult development from when we are about six years old we start developing our expert action logic you know the Mm-hmm. Um, which is a, s- a specific state of of um, of being, and in our expert action logic, um, the aim is to really become experts in our craft, in life, in you know, it's it's the part of us that works when we do problem solving, and it's a part that stays with us throughout our entire lives. So if I look at my own um, expert state and when I was, you know, when, when that was the thing that I pulled on the most, the state that I pulled on the most um, it um, you have to have an answer, you know, it's you're good at this when you have Mm. an answer, you know, Mm. you're knowledgeable and you're useful to people, you know, so it's Mm. not only being a wise, wise ass um, it's, you know, I can add value to people by giving them answers. So it's when we overuse that, um, I think, that um, or we, if we get stuck there. You know, as as we grow, we I always think about it that we've got more colours on our palette to paint from. Okay, mm-hmm. it's not like that's something. It's something that we lose something completely. It's just that we've got an additional color to paint from. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think it's um, when we overuse our our expert um, that we be that we get stuck in. When you speak, well, I need to start thinking about how I'm not going to appear ignorant or. Mm-hmm. You know, Stupid. or backwards, or you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, yeah. when you when you speak. So, mm. especially in the work situation, I mean, if you if you think about software development, that's really a very deep expert discipline. So, um, it's career enhancing for you to know. You know, it's career en- enhancing for you to have answers. Um, so it's not only our ego that has to be retrained. To give up on answers um, or project our own answers on other people, it's actually also we get rewarded in organisations for having the answer,
0: so and having it quick. Yeah, you know, so certainly do, certainly do. And then because of the that reward system, why do I need to share it? Because if I share it, then other people will start getting rewarded, and the limelight will be not on me anymore. Yeah. 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 Um, I've certainly worked with teams where they've been those experts in teams mm-hmm. and especially uh, fairly new teams and you need to try and get them a little bit of an equal playing field or you get them to listen to the other people in the team because maybe they have good ideas as well. Yeah. Um, you don't have to have the answers to every single question and just tell everyone else what to do. We need to yeah. get everybody thinking. Um, it's certainly challenging, that's for sure. Yeah,
1: and it's you know it, you, what you remind me of as well is in our own thinking. If we've got the answer, if we think we've got the answer, we stop listening. You know, mm. so mm. the minute we, um, you know, the minute we have an option, um, we can we can move. So it's also mm. I think it's also enhanced by the overemphasis we have in in the world on getting stuff done quickly. Um, hmm. So if you get stuff done quickly, well, then you just do the same thing over and over again. It requires, it requires presence and energy and time hmm. to be with one another um, in a way that comes up with novel ideas. You know, we have to slow our thinking down um, explicitly hmm. in, in order to go to places um, mm. in our minds or in a group
0: where we haven't been before, mm. so it requires self control, actually.
1: Self management, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and there's also, in addition to that, that um, being, being okay to t- try things out, to not know the answer straight away um and to try a couple of things out and experiment and see what works best yeah um that doesn't that that seems to be in my experience anyway quite hard for organizations or teams to grasp like no we don't have two weeks to figure stuff out and experiment we need to know now we need to know, know what we're doing now yeah um which is always a an ongoing challenge. Yeah,
1: you remind me many many years ago. Um, I was uh, doing um, I was the developer for a for a company that uh, was manufacturing catalytic converters and exhausts, car exhausts, <laughs> and they had they brought in the concept of TQM, total quality management. You know, mm-hmm. and one of the one of the the ideas that they really promoted was. Um, stop thinking about um you know that the 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 motto that people had was um there's always time to do it over but never time to do it right so Mm. you know so so really um really thinking about um you know this is a principle in lean as well you know measure measure twice cut once Mm. so really there's a there's an appreciation in some of the roots of where agile comes from uh, about um really taking time to be with decisions and you know and not jumping into the the very first thing the very first option just grabbing at the option mm. um, very first mm. thing that that comes up um mm. so and if i bring that back into our development as human beings and as leaders as well you know that signifies a a change from um reacting to things versus creating things you know mm. so reacting to things is that knee jerk reaction that just makes us jump to the same the same um solution again mm. Mm. versus really thinking about what it is that we want to create and yeah. taking the time to craft that so
0: yeah it's um it's a form of presence again being present Absolutely. in the Absolutely. problem that you're in, <laughs> that yeah. you're having, being in it together and just, you know, go finding your way through it together as opposed yeah. to just jumping for the, like you said, the same solution that didn't work last time or the hundred times we tried before, yeah. but let's just do it so we feel like we're doing something.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah the the um I mean what you what you're reminding me of as well is that we need to be clear about what impacts our own presence you know um and we need to become good at making sure um that we create the best opportunity or the best potential to be present in ourselves whether that's sleeping enough or mm-hmm. knowing what our triggers are or um you know or having an open conversation, but we, yeah, we need to be clear about what gives us presence and what impedes our presence. Mm. Um, and we need to, it requires some practice actually. It yeah. Requires discipline. Absolutely. It requires practice. I was gonna say. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and from a team perspective um, it's, there's obviously feedback that's, that's around the team, whether mm-hmm. it's feedback on what they've done or feedback how they're working together. Um, have you got any tips on how teams can use those feedback cycles to improve their own, to establish or improve that that presence that they have? That they
1: so, could have? Um, so actually, you know, one of the one of the things that uh, I've taught people in courses um, is something called impact feedback. Okay, now impact feedback sounds really simple, um, but like agile, it is simple but not easy. Okay, so mm-hmm. the format of feedback is simply um, when you said or did blah, the impact on me was blah. Okay, and uh, we find that very often people will be clear about what um, what it is that had an impact on them, but they are not clear at all. About what the real impact was. So in general, the feedback that we give people is, you know, when you ask me a question, um, I like the question. That's a preference, okay? Um, or we will, we, uh, we very often give performance feedback. You know, when we ask me, when you ask me a question, I thought that was good. But if I if I ask you to really consider when somebody does something what the internal impact is, it's really hard for people because we're mm. not present with ourselves. Mm. You know, in some of the, in some of the wisdom um, traditions, they say that 80% of our, of our attention should be on ourselves and what's going on for ourselves and 20% on the outside world. And that so is not the way that we are doing things, especially in the Western world. Mm. So teaching people about impact feedback and Asking them to be clear about what the impact was. Did it confuse you? Did it engage you? Did you feel left out? You know, what was going on for you is a really great mm. way to um, make people realize that, um, you know, oh, this is what's going on for me. Uh, yeah. You know, so to give that feedback um, so that the person who gets the feedback decides whether they – Want to change something about what they did, or whether actually it made of you know, as a as a coach, for instance, if the impact on me is that I made you uncomfortable, well, that's actually probably perhaps exactly what I was going for in the middle of the conversation. <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah. So presence with self is you know is really where it all starts.
0: Mm. Mm. How have you built that presence in yourself? yourself? How have you done that? So um, I think through a number of things.
1: I remember many years ago, a therapist gave me um, a couple of uh, like a sheet with um, probably about 60 or 70 different words for emotions on it. And I had to practice um, to, in the moment, ask myself, okay, what am I feeling right now? Okay, And in the beginning, mm. it took me about 15 minutes before I could figure out what, 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 what uh, you know, I'm not feeling fearful, I'm not feeling anxious, I'm feeling apprehensive, because there's mm. a difference between those three. So mm. really just creating distinctions, connecting with self and creating distinctions about what's going on in me. Um, I've also practiced listening, you know, so really being... Becoming conscious of where my attention is is my attention on my own thoughts, um, or is my attention completely with exquisite attention on you and what you're saying? And something that helps me, a personal practice that really helps me um, with presencing is uh, meditation. You know, so meditation is not about. What, what it's not about the time that you're in meditation. The impact of meditation is, you know, calming the mind so that you get to choose where your attention goes instead of your awareness choosing where, mm. where your attention goes. Mm. So um, that's, you know, and using my senses. That's the other, that's a trick that I that I teach teams, by the way, is just to simply, um, you know, right now, what are you aware of? Using your senses, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? What do you taste? What do you feel? Um, mm. So those are some of the
0: some of the techniques that I use. Mm. Throughout this conversation, <laughs> um, I have, and you're talking about presence. I've definitely um, started to listen <laughs> more <laughs> to what you're saying. And stressing less about what's the what what am I going to ask next? You know, stop! I've forgotten about the podcast part of it, and that we're recording a podcast, (laughs) and I've just been in the conversation instead. So that's that's good. That Mm -hmm. is. So thank you. What what else are you doing for your own professional growth? So um, at the
1: at the moment, I am. I've been working with uh, structural dynamics. The, David Cantor um wrote a book and you know that his his life's work was around how we have conversations, the structure of our conversations, okay? And um I've been deeply um, emerged in that. And uh, as a result of that, so his his model actually has multiple levels at the very deepest level, it's about the narratives that we um that we acquired as children um so i've been working on my own childhood narrative um mm-hmm. with a coach okay which it's deep work it's um it's not therapy um you literally you work with the narratives rather than what happened um right. and that yeah so that's on the one hand and on the other hand i have also for the last 3 or 4 years been um been working with um Uh, leadership development um, and my own leadership development, you know, because when we work with leaders, we can't really develop them beyond our own level of development. Mm. So even as coaches, even if we, we, even, you know, we are not organizational leaders with, you know, 5,000 people reporting into us, but we still need to be able to have the conversations um, with leaders who do have that. So it's really important that we do our own work to, Mm. Uh, develop our own internal leadership um Mm. yeah so that that and the you know and those two actually also have a link into dialogue um that's where that's where i've been geeking out and thoroughly
0: enjoying it (laughs) so beautiful do you how do you prefer to learn do you you read books or do you listen to women agile podcasts or yeah
1: (laughs) I, so, I I used to do a lot more online stuff, you know, either watching videos or listening to podcasts before the pandemic. In um, the pandemic, <laughs> I don't know. I've gone off every single so- social media that you I, – I just mm. cannot bear it to, you know, to have anything electronic. So, I do tend to read a lot. Um, and I like to maybe read um, read something – and then go and do a course on it or read Mm. something whilst doing a course on it. So I do, I do watch videos from time to time, but I find in general, I work better, um, you know, especially in Kindle books and I live in South Africa, books are expensive, um, Mm. the shipping from the States. So I buy a lot of Kindle books and what's really useful for me is to be able to highlight and make notes in Kindle books. Um, you know, so that I find is a way of, um, of really interacting with a book a lot more. Um, Mm. So, but then I love to, you know, these, there are things that you, that you read in the book, but it doesn't make sense until you do a course around it or have a conversational group around it. Mm. So, um, so I do do, I mean, I'm at the moment I've just started um, uh, another uh, art of developmental coaching course with coaches rising again. They are, you know, any coach, I would, I would say go check out the Coaches Rising uh, programs. They're really, really great. Um, and they are a combination of reading and conversation and um, coaching demos um, for quite advanced, you know, quite advanced topics. So things that you, when you read by yourself, you really scratch your head um, when you know when the person who wrote the book um, offers a session on it, it it
0: makes a lot more sense. Mm. So, coach is rising. I've written that down. Thank you. Yeah, I'll check it out. Um, cool. I just wanted to say thank you for your time today. Um, it's been lovely speaking to you and catching up again. Do you have any final words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners? So, I think probably,
1: you know, know thyself, and especially, you know, um, us women, Rumi had a, um, you know, Rumi had a saying, he called it the great joke. So, as human beings, and especially as women, we look at others and we think they've got it together. You know, they know how to navigate through life. Um, Surely they must be better at managing their calendars, their time, you know, their learning, everything than I am. And this is so prevalent. For each and every single one of us, that Rumi called it the big joke. Mm. So, comparison is the thief of all joy. Know that, whatever. I'm not sure that I can swear on a podcast. Okay? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> whatever shit's it. going on in your life, <laughs> okay. Know that everybody's got a share of this
0: shit. so Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Um, thank you again, Antoinette. It was lovely speaking to you. Well, thank you. It was lovely speaking to you too. Thank you for being present with me. <laughs> thank you for taking me. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Women in Agile podcast series. It is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit and scrum.org. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a co-worker about the podcast please go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiative and find more inspiring podcast conversations.